We're in the uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews. We're going to start in chapter 10, verse 35, where we left off last week. We, we're embarking on a journey through the 11th chapter of Hebrews in a little series about faith, and I hope this will be encouraging to you. Uh, so we're going to read from Hebrews 10, verse 35, to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness before his being taken up that he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, or as some translations say, and I like the way it reads, diligently seek him. Tonight, uh, we're going to consider faith that pleases God. Three times in that passage of scripture, in chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, and then twice in chapter 11, in those first six verses, you heard about God either taking pleasure or having no pleasure in a person because of their faith. My favorite translation of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the definition of faith, comes from the New International Version. I think it makes it so clear. It says simply, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is being sure and certain. But what is faith to be sure and certain about? Well, here's the first characteristic of faith that pleases God. Faith that pleases God is sure and certain about God. If you, if you intend to have a relationship with God, the very first thing that he requires of you, the first thing that he requires of me, now I want you to think about this because this is what God requires of you as an individual. He requires that you believe that he exists. Someone might say, well, I need some proof I need some evidence. God needs to show me 
that he exists. Well, uh, you think about it a little bit. How could a thinking person ever be sure and certain about the concept of God? Well, the thinking person, if you're going to be a thinking person, you need to, you need to be you, responding to the evidence that God has already given. What is that evidence? Well, first, I would suggest to you there's evidence inside your own heart and mind. What's the very first question that we begin to ask uh, when, we, when we grow up? We begin to grow up, we begin to think, we begin to ask that question, where did I come from? That's one of the most, most basic cons questions in the, in the heart of man. I like to watch uh, ancient aliens and all of those shows like that, sci-fi stuff that talks about outer space and and they're always on a quest to know where we came from. Was earth seeded by aliens? Did aliens bring people here? And is that how people got started? That's just the age-old question of where did I come from? God put that question in our hearts so we would ask it, so we would begin to wonder about our purpose. And then uh, as we think about where did I come from, the second question is, Am I here for a reason? Is there a deeper meaning to life than just this existence from day to day? Today, this very day, we had a young man come with Grant McLean from the Mission of Hope. Uh, had been an accountant, at, uh, had, had a degree in accounting from the University of Alabama, and uh, just sort of got lost in life and wound up, if you know, if you get, go to the Mission of Hope or the Home of Grace or somewhere like that, you're going to wind up there because you hit rock bottom. And he said, you know, I didn't know what my purpose in life was. I thought life ought to have a purpose. And he said, I fi finally found my purpose. I found my purpose at the Mission of Hope. God has planted in our hearts this idea that we're, we, we're here for a reason, more than just our day-to-day it, it, -day existence. And then ultimately, there's another bit of evidence that God exists, and that's the question that, that most of us have as we begin to get a little older, and especially as we get much older, where am I going? What's going to happen to me uh, after I die? Am I made just for this life? Am I made for time? Or am I made for eternity? Those questions are in the heart of man. But second, there's some evidence that the writer of Hebrews tells us about here and the second evidence that God has given us of himself is our creation, the world and the universe. Uh, scientists tell us that the universe is so large that if the earth were the size of a virus that causes the common cold, you could put the earth on the head of a pin. But then you'd have to magnify, the earth would be so small in relation to the rest of the universe that you would have to magnify the head of that pen a million times so that you could see the earth sitting on the head of the pen. And of course, it may be way, way smaller than that. We just don't know. The vastness of the universe itself raises questions. How did it come into being? Did it come into being by chance or was there a creator? So we look at the universe uh, for evidence of God. God would have us understand that the very creation itself is our evidence. Uh, Paul in Romans said that God was angry with men. He's angry with men. 
And here's why. He says in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. We look up in the night sky, we look at the world around us, and we see creation. It, it, it screams at us that there is a God. So if you want to please God, you must believe that He is. You must believe in the face of the evidence that you've seen that He exists, that He created everything. So, and here, the basis of that is not scientific evidence that you're going to find or any evidence that anybody else is going to offer you. Look at verse 3. By faith, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed or prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen, what is seen, was not made out of things which are visible. God spoke it all into existence. There was nothing, and then there was something, and the something that existed was created by God. So the first step of faith each one of us must make toward God is to believe that He exists if we want to please Him. Faith that pleases God is sure and certain about God. Number two, faith that pleases God believes that He is worthy, that He deserves our worship. Now think of this. If the, if the universe is so big and so vast and the earth is so small, then how much smaller must I be in relation to God himself? And how big must God be if he created all these things? And how should I respond to God if he has planted inside me an awareness that he exists? Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying, testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. The faith of Abel still bears witness. You think about that. How far-reaching is your faith? How far-reaching is what you, how your worship, the very, let's just talk about the gifts that we give on Sunday, the fact that we tithe, we give a gift to the Lord and we just entrust it to Him and say, God, you use this for your glory. And that's what most of us do. We just trust that God has a plan. We trust God with our, with our resources. We trust Him to provide. And that leaves a legacy and it leaves a testimony. The very small things that we do. Do you think Abel, when he offered his sacrifice to God, way, way, way back there, whenever it was and however long ago it was, do you think that his name would, that he did it because he thought his name would appear in the Bible? Do you think he ever thought that that little simple act of faith would continue to bear witness even after he died? How far reaching is one simple step of faith? We don't know. But think for a minute about the, the world of Cain and Abel. It was new Brand new, undoubtedly beautiful. They heard their parents' stories of their own experience with God in the garden. 
you know they had to tell that story of what happened and no doubt how they disobeyed God and lost that opportunity. They gave their sons a witness of God. So with this witness of God built into their hearts, the testimony of their parents, and then the witness of creation, Cain and Abel had to decide what they believed about God. Was this God who created them? Was this God who made this world for them? Was he worth their time? Was he worth getting to know? Was he worth their worship? Now, I'm convinced that that answer was clear to both brothers. And here's Abel. He's, he's convinced that God not only existed, but that God was worthy. And he expressed that by an act of worship. And we see in this story that his sacrifice was a blood sacrifice, like the one that had to be made to cover the sin of his parents. So Abel here was acknowledging his own sinfulness. And at the same time, he was acknowledging God's Holiness. The Bible says Cain also gave an offering, but, but Cain's offering didn't recognize the same thing, didn't recognize his own sinfulness or God's holiness. Cain made his sacrifice by faith, and what was his faith seeking? His faith was seeking fellowship with God, and his faith found fellowship with God. Faith that finds fellowship with God must come on the basis of a sacrifice, but not a sacrifice that I can give, only on the basis of the sacrifice that Jesus gave in my behalf when he died on the cross. Faith believes that God exists and expresses that by acts of worship and sacrifice. Look at verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we're in pursuit of a faith that pleases God. What I want you to see, it's not enough just to believe in God. Not, that's not enough because the Bible says the devils believe. That's in James chapter 2 verse 19. The devils or the demons believe and they tremble, but that doesn't mean at all that they're pleasing to God or that their faith is pleasing to God. Faith that pleases God, here's number three, is faith that pursues a relationship with God. Look at verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. What did Enoch do, by the way, to get taken up? Did he do anything? Does he, did he say, did he see God coming along and say, hey God, hey God, here I am, would you take me along for a ride? No, that's not what he did. He was just living his life. He was being who he was every day, just, just walking the, the road that he walked, living the life that he lived. And the Bible says, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before he was taken up, that he was pleasing to God. So what was it about Enoch that pleased God? Well, when Enoch... If you go back to the Old Testament, I'm going to suggest a couple of things to you. When Enoch was 65 years old, there was a radical change in his life. Now understand, he wasn't a young man when this happened. When he was 65 years old, the Bible tells us that he had a son that year. You think that might have had an impact on his life? Maybe he came to recognize how much he, he needed God to help him raise that boy. We don't know exactly 
what it was that triggered the change. We only know that after the birth of that son, the Bible says that Enoch began walking with God. That's, that marked that moment. And in Genesis 5.22, we read, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, who turns out to be the oldest man in the Bible, and he had other sons and daughters. So from the time he was 65 years old, for 300 years, he walked with God every day. The Bible tells us here Enoch never died. Enoch, the other, the other one, was Elijah. Both left this life without dying as a testimony that one day there will be people who will have the same experience based on their faith in God. We sang a song just a moment ago. I don't know if you noticed. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair or if I'll walk the veil with him. What's that mean? That's the veil of death. I might die. I might die. But Enoch didn't die. So the other, the other part of that song says, I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, or if I'll walk the veil with him, or meet him in the air like Enoch and Elijah. That's the way they met the Lord. So in his 365th year, he was just gone. God took him to heaven. What a testimony. And here in Hebrews we read that he obtained the witness that before he was taken up, he was pleasing to God. So what was it about Enoch that pleased God? Well, Enoch is an illustration of verse 6. He, is a, he, was a, he, he diligently sought God. He got up for, for every morning for 300 years, I suppose, and earnestly, diligently sought fellowship with the Lord. And then one day, God just took him to heaven to live with him. What a reward. Faith that pleases God is faith that pursues a relationship with God every day, every day. So did you get up this morning and look for him? Do you long for him? Do you express your awareness of his worth by acts of worship and, and gifts of sacrifice? That's the kind of faith that pleases God, that walks with him every day. Finally, faith that pleases God expresses itself in a passion for God. One of the problems that we have in the church sometimes is that we believe in God, but we have no passion for God. We don't look for Him. We don't long for Him. We don't expect Him to be present in our services. We don't anticipate His presence. We don't ask for His presence. But God promised Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's a personal promise. That's a promise God makes to you as well. We can apply that one to our lives. We can claim that promise as our own. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's true every day every day of your life. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. But that's also true for our church. That's true for us as a congregation. You will seek me 
And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So what we have here in this 11th chapter of Hebrews, we have people whose lives express a passion for God. Enoch expressed that passion for God by walking with God in a personal relationship day by day. Abel expressed that passion for God by understanding that God was worthy of an appropriate offering. And then down through the rest of that chapter, it just unfolds person after person who did things by faith because they had a passion for God. So God is pleased when your faith, like that of Enoch's, is fueled by a passion to do more than just to believe, but to walk with him and him with you. In Amos chapter 3, verse 3, there's an interesting, there's an interesting statement. Do two men walk together? Two men walk together unless they have made an appointment. Amos 3 3. Does a man and God walk together unless they have made an appointment? Do you have an appointment with God in your day? Is there a time every day when you set aside everything and say, now is my time to, to meet with God. Now is my time to read the Bible. I'm going to hear from God right now. I'm going to have some time with God. One of the youth parents told me the other day about their youth, and they, they said they start in this church, they start every morning in the Word. That's, that's a good way to start your day if you're a young person. That's also a good way to start your day if you're an older person. You have an appointment with God. Do you, how do you think Enoch walked with God every day for 300 years? Every day he had an appointment with God. And he said, God, I'm going to... Maybe he had a place, a special place where he walked. I have my friend Ernie Dice, I've told you about before, who wrote the book, God, if you're real, let the cow be in the pen when I get home. He had a pine tree on his property. And if he'd go and sit under that pine tree, and that's where he met with God. You remember the story of, of uh, Nathaniel when uh, his brother brought him to Jesus. And, and Jesus told Nathaniel, he said, uh, he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And, and Nathaniel said, How do you know me? And Jesus said, Because I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. The fig tree was the, the, Jews guy, the Jewish guy's place of private devotion. He'd go there and sit and, and meet with God. That was just something they did. And, and Jesus is telling Nathaniel, I saw you there. I saw you there. You had an appointment with me there. I met you there. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. If your church seeks him, he will manifest your, his, himself in the midst of your worship. If you make an appointment to meet him, either in the closet or in the sanctuary, he promises to meet you there.